0: My name is Natalie Nation and you're listening to Feed That Nation. I'm a graduate student. I'm a future registered dietitian. I'm a podcaster, a content creator, a mac and cheese expert. And today I'm here with my new friend, Emily, and we are going to talk about workout culture and body changes in college. Before we get into this episode, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to me on YouTube. Go subscribe to me on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you can, leave me a five-star review and rating. It helps me out so much. And don't forget to go follow me on Instagram. I am at nation. or go check out my blog, FeedThatNation.com. Also, go ahead and check out my affiliate partner, Coconut Whisk, they are linked below. They are an allergy-friendly, gluten-free, vegan baking mix company from Minnesota, which is super awesome, love local companies. And they are just, they're so much fun to follow on Instagram. I love their products. I know you guys will too. I just tried their chocolate chip bug cake for the first time the other day, and it was so good, admittedly, with some definitely non-vegan ice cream, but whatever. And if you do check them out and you do love them, make sure to use my coupon code, FeedThatNation. You get 15% off your order. I receive a small commission. Everybody wins in this scenario. Go check out Coconut Whisk. So I have on my podcast today, Emily. Emily is at The Redeemed Body on Instagram, and she loves to talk about all things body, all things spirituality, all things just health and well-being. Emily, you can probably introduce yourself a little bit better than (laughs) that. Why don't you go ahead and tell my audience who you are? So hey, I'm
1: Emily Grinstead. Uh, Pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am a registered nurse as of a couple of weeks ago. Also a blogger with At The Redeemed Body. Yeah, like Natalie said, I love to talk about mental health, dating, my faith, and just kind of general lifestyle questions for people in their 20s and 30s, because we're all going through very similar struggles. A little bit about me, I went to Vanderbilt University for undergrad and studied medicine, health, and society, which is basically just a fancy word for pre-health studies. And then I went straight to Duke University for nursing school, and I just finished in December, so... My first time not being in school, it's a little weird, but I am about to start work on a women's health oncology floor in February, and just kind of hanging out until until
0: then, and super excited to be here. That's awesome. Congratulations on graduating. Definitely a big step in college student's life when you're no longer <laughs> a college student.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely very weird.
0: So with the context of this episode, talking about workout culture, body changes, body image, You can probably guess we're going to be talking about some triggering topics limited or not limited to, but probably including body size, body weight, disordered eating, things like that. If that is something that will trigger you or make you feel unsafe or uncomfortable, please do not watch this episode or listen to it. Please go listen to something else on my channel instead. And there is no shame in not being ready to listen to this or to think about it, discuss it at this time. I just want you to be safe. there are any other significant trigger warnings I think you should know about, I will put them in the show notes, so make sure to peek down there before you keep listening if you have any concerns. I also want to say that yes, Emily is a registered nurse. I am about seven-eighths of the way to being a dietitian. Neither of us are providing individualized medical advice today. This is for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you have medical concerns, please reach out to an in-person primary care provider or another health care provider, they will be able to give you medical advice. We cannot. I also want to, third disclaimer here, we are both white, cis presenting, straight presenting, petite, able-bodied women. And so we speak about these topics from the perspectives that we have. We do not wish to be inclusive or exclusive. We definitely don't wanna be exclusive, excuse me. But given who we are and our experiences we do have privilege in this area, and we want to acknowledge that before we get into it. So let's just jump right in. When it comes to staying active and being active in college, where do you see a lot of college students getting it right? Where do a lot of college students just kind of really nail it?
1: Yeah, and reflecting ahead of doing this episode, I was thinking back to my freshman year at Vanderbilt, which is in Nashville, Tennessee, for people who don't know. and. I feel like when you first come to college, your freshman year, you're just given so many opportunities to join these clubs and activities and try different sports and events. And so there's so many things at your fingertips. There's the gym. There's, you know, hopefully a nice place to walk around campus. And to me, that felt like a very inviting, exciting time because there were so many fun things to do. And so especially freshmen in college, they really have all of these opportunities just to go explore and be active in a way that's very inviting and not competitive or too intense and separate from you know, the gym culture in college. But I feel like overall, when you first start college, there are just so many fun opportunities. And I feel like that's where college students really get it right because they're just trying all these different things that are new.
0: So to flip the script a little bit, where do you see a lot of college students really struggling when it comes to staying active? Yeah,
1: I think it can be really overwhelming when you start college. You have all these new activities like we mentioned, classes, you're just balancing a lot. And so it's really easy to just push aside activity and not take time to get some fresh air, get some movement in do something good for your body. I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've seen and that I personally dealt with in college. Um, but kind of another side of that, I would say there's a lot of negative culture around exercise in college, especially that freshman year when all you hear about is the freshman 15 of, you know, what, you know, how many hours are you spending in the gym per day or, you know, what have you. There's so much comparison early on in college because. You're making a huge life transition. It's terrifying. You're meeting all these new people. And so naturally, a lot of us will go to, okay, what can we change? I can change my body. I can control my body. And that will often translate to you know, excessive exercise and focusing on the campus gym and all of that. But the biggest thing to me that was frustrating in college was just the freshman 15 talk. And I think that's the biggest issue with staying active. I mean, it's just poor motivation to move. For sure. And it's all shame based. Exactly. Yeah, I think uh, it's awful.
0: So when we think about workout culture, which I think is diet culture's evil little younger sister, but how would you define workout culture? Yeah, in thinking about that, I definitely think it's
1: a branch of diet culture. Like you said, it's, I like evil little sister or younger sister. (laughs) Um, I think it's a, a subset of diet culture that just, elevates physical activity kind of above other health-promoting health practices. Um, it just promotes more of a prescriptive um, ideology around movement instead of more intuitive, joyful movement. And it sort of says, you know, if you're not exercising in XYZ way for this number of times per week in this exact format, then you're doing it wrong. Then you're not thin enough, fit enough, you're not healthy And it really restricts what being healthy even means or looks like, and that's a huge problem.
0: When it comes to impacting students, I see obviously we see the freshman 15 and sort of the implication that any kind of weight gain is just evil, bad, sick, wrong. And obviously none of that is true. We learn in dietetics very early on actually that weight gain is not inherently good or bad, weight gain, body change in general, change in body shape, body size, body composition is not inherently good or bad because it really doesn't say anything about a person's well-being at all. And I wanted to throw that in there before we get any further, because I feel like diet culture and workout culture have both completely just made every college student live in fear of putting on any weight at all in college, even though the kind of you know body changes that come with a change in lifestyle like moving onto a college campus like going from being a three sport athlete to a no sport athlete or yeah. vice versa all of that is very normal your body is supposed to change with your lifestyle and that's okay exactly and even going off of that i think of
1: Other life transitions like leaving college to working to getting married and having children to going through menopause. So many natural things that happen, even going through a traumatic, stressful life event like a pandemic. It's very normal to put on weight. And that's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. And even I remember, I think it was my nutrition course in undergrad. Our professor was very big on dismantling the freshman 15 myth and she was even saying it's not even 15 pounds that's the thing it's i don't know where that number came from but again not like 15 pounds has any morality associated with it but typically they've seen in various you know studies of high school freshmen or high school seniors and college freshmen the weight gain actually isn't that much typically and it's very normal for people to need to continue growing into their adult bodies throughout college so
0: it's just a big, big myth that's only harming people. (laughs) For sure. And I think even to just add on to that a little bit more, a lot of people are not finished growing when they go to college. 18 is still sort of when you're on the precipice of almost adulthood. And I know several friends in male bodies particularly who have gotten a lot taller in their first couple of years of college or who have just their bodies have changed a ton in their college career, and that doesn't mean they've done anything right or wrong. It just means their yeah. bodies are still growing and changing.
1: Totally. I think I grew like two inches in college because I was, I was such a late bloomer. Yeah, it was, it was
0: weird, but it's what happens sometimes. So I guess I kind of want to dive into your story a little bit because something that caught my eye about you is you shared on Instagram at one point that part of your journey towards body positivity, body neutrality, body acceptance, and all of that was that you chose to stop exercising for three years. And I would really love to hear about that.
1: Yeah. So at first it wasn't a choice because a lot of my story is I, um, had anorexia for probably about five or six years before getting treatment. That was just my story in my life through all of high school and early college. And when I first started working with my treatment team after my freshman year of college, they were like, Emily, we need to stop exercise. If you want to have a healthy period and be at an appropriate weight for your body, I think we need to take a break. And I had had a really just negative, obsessive relationship with exercise since I was probably 14 years old. And so I didn't know what it was like to move in a way that was motivated by joy and wanting to feel strong and alive and free and not, you know, trying to burn a certain number of calories or manipulate my body size. And it was hard. It was one of the hardest things I think I've ever done to go from obsessive exercise for six years to absolutely nothing for three years. I didn't think it was going to take three years. Um, I can't remember. It was, I was having some issues with my menstrual cycle. And so my provider was saying, you know, let's just mix it for a bit and see what happens to you physiologically. And we took it off for about a year, got my period back, but they just didn't feel like it was appropriate um, emotionally, physically to bring back movement. And it was the best decision. One of the best decisions I've ever made because I found what it was like to just walk and move and be. In my body and activities of daily living and to kind of dispel my fears of if I stopped formal activity, my body was going to radically change and it really didn't. It just settled where it needed to be. And coming back into exercise within the past year, it's made me have a totally shifted perspective um, in my motivation and the exercise that I choose and just my relationship with it. So most people, when they take off time from exercise, don't go three years because that's, that's a lot, but it was necessary for me at the time. So it was a good thing.
0: Yeah, that's really incredible. And I would love to highlight the fact that Emily was working with a professionally medically trained team who were giving her supervision and were doing their best to help her be her best. Exactly. And I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> yes,
1: I was with a PA, dietitian, therapist, physician, great team. So I would not recommend doing any of that on your own. <laughs> it was it was a really, really helpful experience. And I think you hear a lot of people's stories, you know, taking time off exercise. Oh, I took three months off, whatever. Sometimes it's years. I I took years off, and it's scary to talk about. People think that's absolutely insane. And Obviously, my story looks different because, like we said at the beginning, I'm at the, you have thin privilege and I'm in a petite body. And I think there would be more shame associated with someone who had the same break from exercise in a different body. So I can only speak to that experience of mine, but it was very worthwhile. So if you're out there <laughs> wanting to take a break, don't be afraid if it's going longer than you think it would have been.
0: For sure. I think something that has sort of shaped my experience with staying active and exercise is I heard the term once of like gym class trauma, where there are kids who are definitely athletically inclined. And then there are kids like me (laughs) who definitely weren't, you know, less coordinated, less good at team sports. And there's nothing wrong with that because I really love flexibility-based stuff. I love dancing. I got into gymnastics for a little bit and that was so fun. Like there's movement out there for absolutely every person. But I think in terms of that kind of elementary school, like get pick last for the soccer team, kind of fear and shame that a lot of people have, that sort of fear feeds into a lot of like, oh, I didn't go to the gym this week. What are people going to think? Or, you know, really? I'm taking time off. What's my body going to do? And I feel like I just really hate that we as college students on top of everything else we have to deal with, are putting so much fear and shame onto ourselves but then also hearing it everywhere else
1: yeah that's a really good point i was having flashbacks while you talked of my own experience in gym class i was not an athletic kid tried all the sports i was a dancer for a long time so i feel you with loving dance and you know more flexibility type things it's hard especially when gym culture growing up is so curated around team sports. And team sports are great. And I've come to love certain ones more over the years. But if that's not the way that your body works, and that's not how you're coordinated, you're kind of a freak a little bit. And that's so sad. And it just adds to the shame that you're already experiencing growing up and going through puberty. And oh, man, what a time.
0: So I would love to hear your thoughts about college students and struggling with body image and sort of, we've talked about the freshman 15, but what other sort of toxic narratives and struggles do you see in a lot of college experiences?
1: Yeah. So at my school, I the first thing that pops to mind really is um, Greek life. I was in a sorority In undergrad, I actually had a great experience, but we didn't go through recruitment until um, after the first semester of freshman year. So we had winter recruitment. Ended up being good because you had time to really get to know other people and you didn't put your identity in your sorority, um, you know, when you first came to college in August, but... Oh, man. I mean, talk about some serious comparison there of, you know, you have to look a certain way in certain outfits every day and you get really in your head comparing yourself to other girls. And it's it's difficult. And I had to really put some boundaries up of, you know, how much I paid attention to what I was wearing, going through it, to what other people were wearing, what they looked like. I think that can be a very difficult set of weeks for people if they choose to go through sorority recruitment. And just Greek life culture in general can be very, very toxic in perpetuating that thin white body type, because that's what we see all over the place. That's what we see in Greek life marketing, and it's super problematic. And I do think that Greek life is trying to get better in that area and promoting more diverse, um, you know, pledge classes and, and their marketing materials. But that was definitely something I noticed pretty quickly in college.
0: For sure. I feel like I'm thinking of a movie. Amanda Bynes was in it. Sydney White. This like Snow White-ish movie where she's joining a sorority and they're all the same ridiculously small size. And there's like a joke character who's like, who had a bad breakup and she's like a size. I don't don't want to say the number. I don't want to trigger anybody with that number, but it was like a reasonable size for a human to be. I mean, any size that a human is, is a reasonable size for a human to be, but it was just they all made fun of that character for having experienced, again, the weight change that can come with lifestyle change that can come with emotional upheaval. And I just, right. I hated that representation in the media. And I like, I'm really trying to get over my like, internalized story types about Greek life. And I'm really glad yeah. you had a positive experience. But I feel like your thoughts about diet culture and workout culture and body image in Greek life are probably very true universally.
1: For sure. And I think it, it really does depend on the school and the house itself. Like at Vanderbilt, Greek life isn't as big of a deal as it is at some bigger you know, state schools around the country. But in my house actually was very good about bringing in speakers about relevant topics to the women in the house. And um, overall was generally body positive, which was really nice and had a pretty normal culture around food and movement. It was really fun. And uplifting, but there were some other houses that had a repu- that had a reputation at Vanderbilt for being very picky about who they chose based on appearance, which was really sad to hear.
0: So something I wanted to bring up when it comes to body image in college and sort of different groups and it can experience different issues with that is that the LGBTQ plus community, there have been so many studies done, and anecdotally, there's so much more in that narrative of so many people who have an LGBTQ identity struggling with body image because of issues related to dysphoria or other mental health issues, and you know the stress that comes with being somebody who often is targeted and discriminated against, and the trauma that can come with that. And I feel like we don't really talk about that very much. And so I wanted to say, if this is your identity, and this is something that you hold, you're not alone in that. And there are more people out there who are just like you, unfortunately, you're not alone. Many people struggle with this, but also there are resources to help. Yeah, that's a great point. And something I obviously can't personally speak to, but I'm with you in terms of
1: hearing about that research and feeling very saddened by it.
0: I also want to say, because Emily and I are in petite bodies, we have not personally experienced the type of discrimination that people in larger bodies or fat bodies experience. Mm -hmm. And I just wanna say for anyone who might be a little bit fat phobic that there is real solid evidence out there to show that people in larger bodies receive a decreased standard of care in healthcare situations. They're discriminated against in getting jobs in basically every which way you can imagine. And so Again, if you're somebody in a larger body, you are not alone and this is a problem, but the problem is not with you or your body. This is the problem with other people. Yeah, and it's, it's
1: really a problem in our healthcare system too. We took a really great course that talked a lot about weight-based discrimination in nursing school and just how even the size of chairs and doctor's offices and the size of blood pressure cuffs that we use and little remarks that providers make that are just so ingrained in our rhetoric around weight and health that people just forget and it doesn't make it okay but it just shows how deeply ingrained in our society it is just little comments of oh I gotta go get the big cuff or things like that that you don't really think about um and so I just want to put out there that I do I have a lot of hope about where our healthcare system is going and the way that programs are changing to become more size inclusive so fingers crossed, that the next generation of healthcare providers will be more sensitive.
0: Yeah. I also hope that our, our generation, our collective generation of healthcare providers are going to be people in bodies of all sizes. I don't know about your experience, but definitely probably 95% of the people that I've been in dietetics programs with have been petite like me and That's a problem because we need people in all body sizes, in all healthcare jobs. Totally. So what tips do you have or advice do you have for students who are trying to build either a more positive relationship with their body or even just a more neutral accepting relationship with their body?
1: So many things. I I really wish I could go back to 20, 21-year-old Emily and just kind of shake her a little bit and say, get rid of your scale now yesterday, actually, get rid of it. If you feel like you can't get rid of it, give it to a therapist, give it to a friend, a partner, whoever. I went through a lot of giving my scale to someone, getting a new one, all that jazz. I can really confidently say having that gone for the past few years has been such a game changer. So you don't need that. No one needs that. Say goodbye. Um, Get your hands on Intuitive Eating, the book. Highly recommend. I'm actually reading it myself right now. They just came out with a new edition that is more health-to-every-size friendly. Um, Definitely recommend, obviously, telling your medical provider about that book and any changes that you're going to make. But those two things are very tangible. And then just finding friends around you who speak either neutrally or positively about their bodies, that was huge for me because honestly, the people you surround yourself with you become who you surround yourself with. And so finding people and being very careful about what friends you choose, making sure that they are uplifting themselves and uplifting you and noticing the way that they talk about their bodies and the way they talk about other people's bodies is huge. Um, cause you're going to pick up some of that fat phobic language and it's going to rub off on you and you're going to rub off on them. So, um, being selective about who you spend time with is really big.
0: I will echo your advice to get rid of your scale. And I would also say, for me at least, knowing my body weight has been triggering for me at different times in my life. And so I've just decided I will not weigh myself. And if I have to get weighed for a medical reason, I will either just decline if possible, or I will say, please do not tell me how much I weigh. Which if you have even a halfway decent healthcare provider, they will... Instantly agree, they will not press you on this. They Mm -hmm. will honor your wishes. And if they do not, find a new healthcare provider because you are absolutely deserving to receive healthcare without being triggered by it.
1: 100%.
0: Very much agree. I love also what you said about surrounding yourself with people who have neutral or positive experiences and language about the bodies around them, because I realized reflecting a while back that a lot of the friends I had in childhood had negative relationships with diet and exercise and their bodies. And that definitely rubbed off on me. As an adult, I don't have to surround myself with those people.
1: Yeah, we have a lot more freedom to choose who we surround ourselves with than we think. And I I feel like people say a lot that, oh, you know, your friends just come to you, it just happens. No, we have a lot of choice in who we spend time with. And it's okay to be selective about your friends. It doesn't mean you're a mean person, but that close circle of people around you needs to be very carefully selected because you know your story and your time are important. And the people that you share that with need to earn that and need to earn your trust. And so very big on being careful with who you let into your close circle. Um, you want to be around people who are going to encourage you and not
0: make it harder. So what tips do you have for students who are trying to build, again, either a positive relationship or a neutral relationship with physical activity and staying active?
1: I'm trying to think. This is more newer tips for me since that was more of a recent part of my own story. But I think something that's helped me is thinking about what kind of movement I enjoyed before any eating disorder, disordered eating, before things Kind of went downhill. And that for me was dance. I've always loved dance. I've always loved hiking and being in nature and going on walks. I've always loved stretching and yoga and things like that. Um, Just thinking about forms of movement that get me excited and that don't have any sort of bad memories or negative connotations with them. I thankfully had a really good experience with ballet. A lot of people don't, but ballet is a very fun thing for me. And so I would definitely reflect on that. Trying out different classes, activities is really fun. That way you're not in this rigid schedule of, oh, I have to do this type of movement this many days a week, kind of that prescriptive movement. But saying, oh, there's, you know, a boxing class or a Pilates class. Let me go try that out with a friend. And making it social, too, is really fun. Um, One of my favorites. little plug here. Movement Channels is the fitness marshal. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's fantastic. He does very much body positive dance classes on YouTube and, um, it's just a really fun, fun channel. So anything like that, that's just makes you feel good and is happy. Um, I definitely recommend.
0: Yes. Find movement that brings you joy. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so difficult at least in college, because my freshman year, I had two roommates and one of my roommates was an athlete. And Mm -hmm. so a student athlete who worked out with her team or just by herself multiple times a week, you know, she'd be up early or late at the gym. And I know freshman me really internalized a lot of, well, my roommate's working out. Should I be, you know, and then if I'm not, am I doing something wrong? And really, My roommate was my roommate. I am me and we have different bodies, different needs, different experiences. And I think especially speaking to people with disability or chronic illness where it is just not safe or healthy at all for you to move your body when your body is not ready to move, there is no shame in that. But there's no shame in that if you're an able-bodied person either. It's okay to rest and it's okay to only move when it makes sense. Absolutely.
1: Everyone's so different, and you can't compare your body or your experience or your movement preferences to anyone else's because we all process food differently. We all process movement differently. It's never going to look the same. And that's why so many of these, you know, again, prescriptive diets or prescriptive movement regimens are so upsetting because every person's body is different, and that's a beautiful thing. And so we really can't compare it um, at all, like you said.
0: So, what role does social media play in everything we've just talked about? And where can students reduce negativity and find more positivity in these areas on social media?
1: Yeah, honestly, I don't know what role social media doesn't play in anything anymore. I feel like it's just (laughs) constantly consumes us. Um, My biggest thing, even just aside from diet workout culture, is go through who you're following and unfollow people. Mute people. Muting is my favorite thing ever because if there's that childhood friend who you know you want to see their stuff eventually, but you don't like their stories about you know their workout routine, just mute them. It's great. You don't have to do the big unfollow, but you get to mute, but really go through and just curate who you're following. Anyone that makes you feel bad about yourself, that stuff that just upsets you that they're posting, Unfollow. You don't have, you don't owe anyone a follow. Really, really believe that. And then go follow people who are putting out inspiring, uplifting content. Follow people of diverse body sizes, people who are promoting body neutrality, body acceptance, body positivity. And just look for those content creators. There's so many out there, bloggers, influencers, dietitians, therapists, so many wonderful pro-recovery, pro body neutrality people to follow and just really flip your feed. I do that every few months. I check in and just go through and say, do I like following this person? Do I, am I doing this out of guilt or feeling like I owe them a follow or do I really like what they're putting out? Um, and kind of just go through and sift. It kind of very similar to what I was saying about your friends. You get to choose what information you're taking in. You get to choose who you surround yourself with. And so very much do that with your social media because we're on it all the time. Yeah, you have a lot of power in who you follow and who you let in into your life, especially in that digital space, because that is your own and you get to
0: control it. So take advantage of that. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, because I know this is one of your niche things, because you talk a lot about faith and spirituality on your channel. And so I'd love to know, how did your faith and your spirituality factor into your own recovery?
1: Yeah. So I really love this topic. It's very near to my heart because a huge part of my story. Um, I would say that a lot of the recovery principles we see out there, like intuitive eating, body acceptance, body diversity align very well with a Christian perspective of the body. Now, not the Christian perspective you hear in diet culture, because there are a lot, a lot of wacky things out there saying, you know, do this Daniel plan fast, do this, you know, God wants you to, to fast from this or to cut out sugar. Ridiculous. Absolutely nonsense. It's one of my biggest pet peeves because there are a lot of people out there who take scripture and who take Christian principles and twist them to sell products and to sell, to sell products and to sell what they're trying to get you wrapped into, whether it's an exercise routine, whether it's a diet pill or whatever. And that drives me nuts because when you actually read the Bible and learn about God, he says to take care of our bodies and to treat them like a temple of the Holy Spirit. And that he made every person exactly in his image, exactly as he wanted them to be, meaning that he didn't make a mistake. He didn't make a mistake when he made our bodies. And that's like the most freeing thing ever. And when I was reflecting on that and thinking, okay, for me to be mad at what I look like essentially is telling God that you made a mistake and that you made me wrong. And that is so sad because if, if I believe that the creator of the universe made me exactly like he wanted me to be, I should be accepting my body and loving it and treating it well and getting excited about you know how many other beautiful people he made and the diversity of their bodies and appreciating just the beauty around me. And I think it's just a very relieving and eye-opening perspective and so that's been hugely helpful for me especially with accepting my own body because a lot of my story was being very mad at God for the way that he made me for not making my legs look a certain way or whatever and kind of just realizing okay everyone is different everyone literally no one is the exact same and that's such a great thing Um, and then kind of in tangent or in tandem to that would be that having a Christian perspective with my recovery helps me to not obsess on myself. It helps me to recognize that my body was made exactly how it's supposed to be, that taking care of my body is honoring to God. And, you know, obsessing over myself isn't helping anyone. It's keeping me from, you know, loving other people and treating them well and doing purposeful work. And so that's how my faith has really been instrumental in my recovery. And I just think that when you actually look at what the Bible says about our bodies, it really lines up nicely with intuitive eating and body acceptance. And I think that's a really cool thing. I love that. I love it too.
0: (laughs) And for, I wish I had more resources for other healthcare professionals, body positive, body neutrality professionals with other faith backgrounds. But I do know there's a really incredible dietitian. Her name is Dua and she is, I think, at a Muslim dietitian on Instagram. And she talks so much about relationships to food and eating in the Quran. And I have learned so much from her feed even though I know nothing about Islam. And I just think that's so cool. And I would also say that no matter if you were raised in religion, or if you were raised with spirituality, or if you're just figuring all that out now, absolutely your spirituality is a huge part of your well-being, And I want you to cultivate that for yourself in ways that make sense and ways that feel good. Do you have any tips for students in finding their own spirituality in their recovery, either Christian related or more general?
1: So I can only really speak to the Christian perspective because that's been my story, but I would really say, you know, in college like i mentioned earlier there's so many organizations and clubs and meetings out there of really all faith of all faith backgrounds and so just if you're exploring go to these meetings go to their bible studies go to their large groups whatever that is and talk to people and you know college is such a formative time and so it's a really cool place you know whether you grew up in religion or not to figure out what your beliefs are i think that that's hugely important part of becoming an adult and figuring out your identity. We ask a lot of big questions about, you know, what is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? What am I doing? And taking that opportunity to explore and ask big questions and have doubt. And I think that's hugely important, even in the Christian sphere, too. I mean, a lot of people, myself included, have asked really big questions this year. And it's that's an okay thing. That's a good thing to constantly be asking questions and figuring out why you believe what you believe. So staying curious for sure reaching out to people, finding people who are safe people for you, Um, just
0: exploring, reading books, all of that. What advice do you have for college students who have noticed that their friends are struggling and want to reach out and want to help? What advice do you have for them?
1: Yeah, this is a hard one. I think it depends on the severity of the behavior that you're seeing. So obviously, if you have a friend who is actively suicidal, that's a different situation from someone who is saying, I don't like the way my body looks. So obviously, suicide hotline, crisis prevention, different level of severity from probably probably what we're talking about, all very equally significant for sure. But I want to put that out there that if someone's actively in crisis, you need to intervene. doesn't matter if it's hurting their feelings. You got to go in and keep them safe. Um, and reach out for help. But from in the more you know less acute situation, I would say just being a listening ear is huge not going in and saying, you know, I think you have an eating disorder. That's probably not the most helpful thing and they're probably going to be very resistant to that. And so I would say you know use language like I've noticed this you know I really care about you and as a good friend of yours, I have noticed over the past couple weeks that you've been skipping dessert or you've been you know inter, behavior here. I don't want to trigger anyone either, but you know, I've been doing X, Y, and Z and I'm worried about you because, and just expressing concern and love, um, from more of a curious perspective and asking questions, you know, tell me what's been going on. Is something going on that I don't know about? Do you need to talk? I think are pretty good principles because I'm a very (laughs) protective person over my friends and my people. So if I notice someone is, Struggling, I really want to rush in and help them, and I really want to fix it. And I tell my friends I have that mama bear personality. It's like I want to fix it, I want to make people feel good and take away the problems. But oftentimes that's not the solution, and you just need to go in and be with people and listen and say, you know, hey, I I've been through this, or I have friends who have been through it. And if you ever want to talk to someone, I'm here, or I'm happy to give you their number. Just kind of extending the resources, but not forcing it down someone's throat. Not forcing it interface I think is huge.
0: And what resources, let's talk resources for a second. Sure. Uh, let's do on-campus resources first. Where on college campuses can students go either for themselves or for their friends? Where would you say they should reach out for help first?
1: Yeah, I think it probably really depends on the college and what resources are there. But probably I think it's safe to say most colleges have some sort of a counseling service and also a student health Um I think if you're, you know, freshman year, you could go to your resident advisor. You could go to someone who's immediately in your vicinity in your living situation. Um, If you have any sort of a peer mentor or, you know, big brother, big sister type of situation, whether it's a sorority or a house that you're in, definitely going to them would be good. Um, But I think even just taking it straight to the counseling services or student health and saying, You know, hey, I'm worried about my roommate. Keeping it anonymous. You know, what resources do you have? What can I do? And some colleges now, at least at Vanderbilt, we were working on this when I was there. Have an anonymous form you can fill out if you're concerned about a friend's, You know, mental health, physical health, etc. You can fill that out, send it in, and they contact you and talk to someone, usually in counseling services. So that's cool. And I would just, I think, starting with you know, resident advisor or someone like that who can kind of point you in the right direction would be good.
0: I love that. I I really hope that. Vanderbilt is doing that and I hope that more schools start to do that soon yeah I think
1: that's a it's a really cool development and I'm hopeful that I mean it's been I'm a couple years out of college at this point but or undergrad I'm hopeful that campuses are moving towards you know integrating those types of resources and having more open conversations about mental health because
0: it wasn't that great a couple years ago I know that (laughs) So let's talk off-campus resources. Where are your favorite resources for learning more about this, for getting help, for learning where you can get help? Let's talk all of that.
1: Yeah, so I would say most of the resources I'm familiar with are more in the eating disorder realm. Um, obviously, National Association, the National Eating Disorder Association, NEDA, is huge. They have a ton of articles of resources for different states, local communities, in terms of providers to reach out to, helplines, all that jazz, highly recommend. Honestly, there are a lot of great people on Instagram. There are a lot of wonderful dietitians and therapists. Obviously, Christy Harrison is fantastic if you don't follow her work with anti-diet. Her book, it's fantastic. Um, I mean, I think there's a website, it's called like Eating Disorder Hope where you can look up local dietitians and therapists who do eating disorder of work in the area. I feel like those are always good to reach out to if you're looking for professional help. Um, in terms of Christian perspective on this topic, there is an Instagram account called Nourish. I think, it's, I think it's called Nourish. I can double check on that for you. But they do um, Bible studies about disordered eating and body image, which is really cool. Um, I would say, yeah, I mean, getting online and Even just Googling, you know, if when I was in Nashville, I would Google, you know, Nashville eating disorder therapists and just see what pops up and shoot them an email. It can't hurt.
0: For sure. And I would add to that, you don't need to be diagnosed with an eating disorder to Mm -hmm. see a professional who works with people with eating disorders. Your struggles are equally as valid, no matter if you have a diagnosis, no matter if they fit into the DSM-5 or not. And a lot of RDs and therapists who work with people who have more food-based eating disorders also are very familiar with working with people who have exercise-based issues. And I know exercise addiction, and we call it orthorexia. And I think anorexia athletica is another kind of way to describe that. If you're somebody who's really struggling with your relationship with exercise in any way, these professionals are either going to be the people you need to speak to, or they're going to know who to refer you to. So that's definitely a great place to start.
1: Yeah, that's a really great point. And I think I chose eating disorder because in terms of mentioning those professionals, there isn't really a great space right now, at least that I know of, of you know local providers who do work around exercise addiction or work exclusively around disordered eating behaviors. And I very much see disordered eating on a spectrum of, you know, got normal eating, disordered eating, full-blown DSM-5, diagnosable eating disorder, it's all significant. It's all a deviation from normal intuitive eating and that deserves help. And so, like you said, reaching out to those professionals is a really great first step in the local community.
0: And I'll also add, I know the NEDA website has a list of providers who have sliding scales or discounts or who are community-based and can provide services for free or very low cost. That's a great resource and everything, all the resources we've talked about, I'm going to link in the show notes just so that you guys have a library of places to go. And I'm definitely going to link some of my favorite RDs and people online who talk about this stuff below, just because these are great people. They're just, yeah. they're so wholesome and lovely. And it's I love following fun. them. I do
1: too. It's really fun. And also a little note there that These people are great on Instagram, but they're not a replacement for seeing a professional and working personally with them. That's something that I've, I feel like they do a very good job of saying that on Instagram, but
0: yes, thank you. Do you have any final thoughts to wrap this up?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we talked specifically about college students here and, you know, these are struggles that can be across the lifespan, but college is a very unique and uniquely difficult time for a lot of people. I can only, again, speak to my own personal experience, but I feel like for a lot of people, it gets better after college because college is just this pressure cooker of trying to figure out who you are, what you want to do with your life, your career choices, you know, romantic interests, all of that. It is hard. And again, those questions continue beyond college. They're there before college often too, but you're not in that same pressure cooker when you leave college and you're in a different phase of life and it has its own unique challenges. But a lot of those pressures, like we said, of, you know, sororities and freshman 15 stuff and all of that isn't there when you're in the working world. And I found in my, you know, almost two years being out of college, people are focused on other things more so when you get out of college. It's not that pressure cooker comparison environment. And so in some ways it does get better. And that's something to look forward to, I would say. Um, but my biggest thing would be you get to choose how you treat your body in this season and you don't have to go with the flow of how everyone else is micromanaging their bodies, restricting, overexercising, you don't have to do that. It's so hard not to be pressured and go on that diet or, you know, overexercise to lose weight for spring break or whatever your friends are doing, but it's your life, it's your body. You get to choose. And again, not mental illness is not a choice, but you do get to choose how you treat your body and that's huge. And you can be different from everyone else. You don't have to do the diet culture thing.
0: Thank you so much for joining me. I, I just feel so uplifted by this conversation. Oh, I'm so glad. This was so much fun. So every podcast episode, I give my food, my follow, and my fun to my audience. My food is usually a food that I've just been really enjoying, a snack or something. My follow is an account on social media that's been uplifting me. And my fun is something fun that I've been doing this week. And so I want to turn it over to you. Please give my audience your food, your follow, and your fun this week.
1: I love that. So I was telling a friend this fun little intuitive eating thing. I'm typically very much a sweet tooth person, love desserts, but lately I've been really craving salty stuff and I have been craving avocado toast, like no other, like for some reason I've always just been put off to it because I don't really like eggs, but I've just been having avocados all the time. So that's been really fun. And I don't know if you guys have seen the, I guess, trend online of the everything, but the bagel seasoning from Trader Joe's game changer. So I've been putting that on everything <laughs> and that's been really fun. Um, my follow, is that next? Yes. Okay. So, um, I would say there's a wonderful account, um, called at the enough journal, um, Beck, we've actually connected a little bit. I'm going to be on her podcast later, which is fun. She is wonderful. She talks a lot about, um, identity. She does everything from a Christian perspective. So that's cool. If that's you know, part of your story, um, and she talks about having um, a miscarriage a couple of years ago. And so that's been really neat as someone going into women's health hearing about her story. Um, she has just a lot of really sweet, uplifting content and does a lot of fashion and, you know, um, fun recipes and things like that. So definitely recommend it. She does also talks about her own struggle with body image. So another person to relate to. Um, and then my fun thing, what have I been doing that's fun this week? I've been building furniture. <laughs> I've also been watching old Disney movies, which is really sweet. Um, I watched Coco the other day and I love that movie so much. So just building furniture and watching Disney movies.
0: Nice. And I think you've already said your handle, but go ahead and give yourself a plug again. Where can people find you and follow you?
1: Yeah. So I am at The Redeemed Body on Instagram. It's all lowercase, no spaces, anything like that, no symbols. Um, yeah, if you're interested in, you know, mental health content like this, we talk a little bit about nursing and nursing school, um, also dating relationships, um, my faith, all that jazz, just general lifestyle things. And what it's like to be a young person in your twenties, go give me a follow. I also have a YouTube channel that I just started about two weeks ago, still very new, but it's just Emily Grinstead on YouTube. And it's also linked on my Instagram and yeah, I would love to connect with you there
0: great well thank you so much for joining me and to everyone listening give emily some love in the comments of this youtube video leave me a review telling me you loved having her on it would make <laughs> both of us super happy and don't forget to go follow me on instagram i am at feed that nation and go check out my blog feedthatnation.com. i upload podcasts every wednesday and i upload vlogs to youtube every saturday and until next time my name is natalie this is emily you've been listening to feed that nation and we'll see you soon